be more fun. You know what? A monkey would do a better job. Hey, I'm trying my best. <laughs> yes, even Kevin would do a better job. <laughs> All right, let's get this show going. Recording in three, Whoa. two. Hi, I'm Karen Garst, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know. We don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from Still Hot BG, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and did you know that during the Bronze Age, everyone in an Olympic sport came in third place? <laughs> Joining me is a team that wonders, why is it sexual harassment when men talk dirty, but it's $3.99 a minute when women do it? Yeah, right. What did, wait, what, what Where did you are you say? getting Where? $3.99 a minute? Wait a minute. I'm I get a discount. I get a discount. <laughs> <laughs> she'd rather be in Europe naked on a yacht destroying her liver but she's here Nancy oh yes I am <laughs> <laughs> and he philosophized that life is a sexually transmitted disease and is always fatal Scott yes it's true <laughs> and wrong in her debut if there's an elephant in the room it's because she brought it Yep, here I am. (laughs) Guys, welcome back. Well, now that we've all been abused to the first 30 seconds of this show, the the rest of it should be interesting. That's how the show starts every time. (laughs) Give me more abuse, Kevin. Yes. (laughs) I get plenty of abuse from all of you. (laughs) Guys, welcome back. Today we're going to have a great show. We're going to be talking to Veronica Drantz. She's a friend of our friend, Del Ray. Remember Del Ray? And we're going to be talking about... Assigning gender at birth. Yeah, I know. I'm really looking forward to it. She's a, when you look at her resume, she's a powerhouse, so it should be a great interview. But first, let's do a lot of chit chat. We got lots of things to cover. Hurricane Harvey, you guys following that? No. This is the hurricane. This is apparently it's a category three, maybe a category four hurricane. Winds could go up to 250 kilometers an hour. It's supposed to touch down near Corpus Christi in Texas. Uh, and the funny thing is, there's a guy there. His name is a Pastor Freddy Naranjo. And he just said, just keep praying and believe it will slow down or some miracle will take place. The power of Christ compels you! Oh, that'll, 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 that'll solve it. There's always some clown that always thinks he can beat the hurricane. <laughs> there's always an idiot saying, well, that, I'm such a good shape, I will confront this hurricane. Let, let's hope that yeah, people Yeah, that are... comes under famous last words. You know sometimes. what, I, I have a piece of advice for all these people that do that. It doesn't matter how many sit-ups you do. It's not that the wind is blowing, it's what the wind is blowing. So it doesn't matter how many push-ups you can do when you get hit by a Volkswagen. It doesn't matter. It's a, I, I used to live in that part of the world, not in Corpus Christi, but further further down um, the Texas uh, coast, near Padre Island and uh, Harlingen. And one of the things that, that makes hurricanes so devastating in that part of the country is there's nothing to slow them down. It's yeah. not like there are you know gr- no trees and forests yeah. and things like that. It's it's flat. And luckily, when I lived down there, we weren't touched. By, by hurricanes, but there was always the threat oh, yeah. of one. I, so, I've been uh, in a Cat 2 hurricane, and oh. I, I actually drove home from work 
it, during a cat two hurricane. Oh man! Boy, uh, cat two. What do you mean by cat two? You mean a lot of cat, cats? Category two. Oh, okay. <laughs> cats and, and dogs uh, flying. <laughs> yeah, we we actually lost uh, lost a guy off our crew. He he uh. got taken out by a line of trees that came down on top of him. No. Oh. On the way home. Ouch. So, I understand exactly what they're talking about down there. Yeah. So uh, having seen it firsthand and I just hope that everybody gets out of the way and that they're all safe. As we are recording this right now, they're actually, the uh, hurricane is making landfall right now as we, as we're recording. So, um, good in, luck in news of the, uh, what happened a couple of weeks ago with Charlottesville and all that. And the, uh, the rise of the, uh, neo Nazis for lack of a better term, Bailey Joel. Sure. Well, oh, apparently, yes. he took the stage at Madison Square Garden wearing a yellow star of David. Oh. Now, he's Jewish himself, obviously. And, you know, this is his way of... Joel has never been one to be very uh, political. But, you know, he thinks it's bad enough that he had to actually wear this. It's a, it's a quiet, not so quiet a protest. Yeah, yeah exactly, wow. exactly. That's pretty a pretty impressive. powerful symbol. Yes, yes. indeed. Um, I think people in the arts have, have been almost, I don't know whether they've been leading the charge of, of protest. I know the Indivisible group has people from all over, but people in the arts have been extremely vocal. As a matter of fact, um, the um, the council, uh, the arts council resigned mm-hmm. because they yep. didn't want to be a part of that ad- administration. All of them right so, away, yeah. yeah. They totally did. Um, you guys remember Charlie Hebdo? Yes. And Shirley Hebdo, as uh, in the, in light of the Barcelona attacks that happened last week, decided to publish a provocative Islam cartoon in response Ooh. to the attacks. It shows Let's two dead the flame. It shows two dead victims in pools of blood being run over by a van with the caption "Islam, religion of peace." Of course, this goes back to remember 2015 in January 2015, where 12 of them were killed uh, by Islamic est- extremists. So. Guts, though. <laughs> you know, these guys have guts. You gotta they, give them They that. do have guts. Yeah. Wow. I was in Germany when that happened. Oh, were you? Yeah. Oh, wow. That was front page news all over the place, but you, yeah. you were really close. Very close. There was a lot of uh, fear that all the other cities would be attacked at the same time. Yeah, and that fear is justified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you guys watch the Eclipse? Of course. Couldn't. You couldn't. Yeah. Didn't have any goggles. Oh. It didn't. We had, well, it didn't. It, it really didn't do welding. anything up here. I mean, it yeah, wasn't it like a significant. It did actually. It 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 was quite impressive. It uh, was? We watched it through welding goggles. Yeah, so did I. And what happened was the 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 moon covered from the from the uh, right side, and it covered about eighty percent of it, and then went around and and yeah. off the left side. It covered eighty. Oh no, no, really I didn't. Neat. I didn't mean that way. I meant in, in terms of how dark it oh, became. No, yeah, it, no, it, it was didn't. weird. It, it was yeah. eerie noticeably light outside. darker. Yeah. It was, for a while. It was like a sunny day. But wearing like really dark filters or something. Yeah, yeah it was really strange. I made yeah. my own. I did. I did the little pinhole. Oh, did you? Yeah, I made the pinhole. How did it work? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I I did the pinhole and then held up a piece of white paper. Yeah, we saw and lots of people it. doing that. Yeah. I just, yeah, well, I'll it, tell it you. Just, it you, was just like the glasses. You know, you it would never it, tried when that. you watch it through. Uh, the glasses were yeah. second. The the welding goggles that we had were the best. Or it wasn't welding goggles. It was the face shield. Yeah, the yeah. welding mask. Yeah, the, the, the welding thing. mask. And oh, wow, was that ever something. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, you had, you, there's a certain strength of welding uh, tips yeah. you need on those uh, that are masks. It has to be like a 13 plus. Yeah. Whatever that scale means. Oh. Um, 
So uh, after the eclipse, apparently Google had <laughs> had a spike in terms like eclipse headache, oh, eyes no. hurt. I looked at the sun <laughs> uh, <laughs> because people what are stupid. Can you say? Oh, there was a wasn't there a, a rap artist or something that said oh, to heck with it, and he went out and defiantly looked at the sun. Trump apparently, did. Trump did too. Uh, Trump? Well, he, yeah, he the from the balcony of the White House. He just looks right up. The rap artist had to cancel several shows because he can't see. Yeah, it's called apparently solar retinopathy. He he ruined his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> well, duh. And oh, at the same time, I couldn't help but laugh because there was a whole bunch of things on social media saying uh, there was a sunlight cross that was formed during the eclipse, which of course is a lie. It's just Christians posting these bullshit posts. I don't know why they keep doing that. Uh, Snopes was quick to debunk that right away, but I, I, I just don't understand why the point. What's the point of defending your religion when you have to defend it with a lie like that? It's it's just ridiculous. And to finish on a lighter note, in a Nancy, you've probably been there. Paducah, Kentucky. Sure. Yeah, of course. I've been every place. She's been everywhere. <laughs> That's an interesting name. There's a 52-year-old yeah. man, and he told his wife he was going out to drink with the boys. And he goes to a hotel and orders a prostitute. Now, you know, nobody here in this room is, you know, all very attractive people. I can understand that. This poor guy probably wasn't. So he, he calls, a, he orders a prostitute with his phone. Um, and who shows up? His 43-year-old wife. She's oh, the prostitute. Wow. <laughs> I'm okay. I mean, it was like a movie. That's like a movie. That's like a movie. Apparently, they've been married 19 years. <laughs> now they're considering divorce. So. Oh, <laughs> I wonder I why. So. Of course, she's angry because he's been doing this for quite a while. And well, apparently, and he shouldn't angry be angry? She's been <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have to sympathize with her. At least she's out earning money. And he, she's <laughs> out earning yeah. money. And Good he's point. spending yeah. it. <laughs> They're just. Wow. <laughs> I, I think that I think it's a financial I problem. Think that I think there's a song. In there's their a song for that. There's a song for that from really? back in the seventies. Yeah. They, what was that song where they? Oh. It was sung in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, it was in Guardians of the Galaxy too, where the uh, the, the guy was basically putting an ad in the paper and looking for. Oh, he answers he's an ad. Tired in the paper of looking, he's tired of his lady. Tired of his lady. Oh, that's yeah. the uh, the the yeah the. Uh, <laughs> And and the, like pina answer, yeah yeah pina colada song yeah, that's yeah. Right, that's right. and and his lady ends up being the one that answers him and then <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but at least that had an happy yeah ending. that had a happy ending, ending. Well, I <laughs> think, you know I think a lot of that goes goes back to the what there was a movie um in the in the thirties or early forties called the shop around the corner where um a, a, a nice young man and a lovely young lady worked together. And they're single, but they they never have a relationship. And they one puts an ad in, and the other one reads. And it turns out that uh, yeah, Jimmy probably, Stewart, I think Jimmy Stewart was in there, and, and Margaret Sullivan, I think, oh, the shop I around the corner. Jimmy so that is, is that like sleep um, uh, sleepless in Seattle? No, that, that was no, but this, no, this that is was the best variation on it. And, uh, Meg, Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan. Yeah. Cool. All right, Nancy, my dear, what do we got? What do you got for us today? Well, I thought that because we've been discussing gender for so you know for so many shows, and we also have an expert on today, that I would go into gender a little bit rather than a, a, a other topic. Going to do? No, it's not even a quack watch. It's a gender watch. That's a gender watch. It's a gender. What's <laughs> do I put that? And I tell you why I'm doing it. A um, couple of shows ago, Scott and I got into um, a very short but lovely discussion about the fact that we both thought 
that somewhere in the 70s there was a baby X who yes. who had been treated at birth gender neutral. And both of us sat here very confidently thinking, yes, of course, we remember that baby X. Never happened. Really? Never happened. But the thing that did happen that was in the back of our of our memory was the fact that in 1972 in Ms. Magazine, which had just come out in 1971, there was a story called X, a fabulous child story by Lois Gould. I think it's Gould, G-O-U-L-D. And that's where you and I both were Believe it or not, that's where our minds were. That's where the idea came from. That's where the idea came from. So I went back. Hold to on a second. Find are you say, are you seeing in a in a, a woman's magazine? Uh, well, Scott, Ms. what have you been reading? Ms. Magazine. Ms. Magazine. Why are you reading your magazine, Phil? Well, you, you'll actually, never know. <laughs> actually, men should read Ms. Magazine just along with women. Ms. Magazine was was founded back in 1971, I think, by Gloria Steinem and a partner, and of course Gloria Steinem is one of the leading feminists and, you know, has been and still is. And Ms. Magazine was was like a, 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 a storm on, on the horizon for women because up until 1971, there was the women's section, and then there was Women's Home Companion and Women's Journal, and most of the publishing uh, magazines treated women as housewives that had nothing better to do than concentrate on everybody else other than, than themselves. And that's such a bad thing. But women were beginning to emerge because of the 60s and, and, and begin to think about careers and their own fulfillment. So the timing was right. So Ms. Magazine wow. was the first one that really covered feminist issues and careers and women as people rather than women as subservient servants in their in their own own home which sounds harsh but it was it was a huge leap. So this story um, uh, uh, was part of Ms. Magazine a year after it came out. And it is an absolutely lovely story. There's nothing harsh about it. And it's a story that's as relevant today as it was back in 1972. And it, uh, uh, Lois, uh, this is the only children's story that Lois uh, Gould wrote. She did some books and she did a movie called um, uh, Such Good Friends. She was the, the writer of that. But the story has to do with a baby who was born to the Joneses and it, 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 the Joneses agreed to be part of the experiment that the uh, scientists developed to, to not assign a, a, a sex to that child and let the child decide um, what gender it it wanted to be. So they treated the child as an ex and dressed it in every type of clothing, every type of um, Mm. toys, every opportunity. And the scientist had written, according to this lovely story, the scientist had a manual that had 
thousands of pages so the parents could look it up and see, uh, you know, what to do as, as problems came along. And so this is just one little paragraph um, uh, about as, as the, the Joneses' uh, little ex was growing up. And the paragraph goes like this. Meanwhile, the Joneses were worrying about other problems, toys, for instance, and clothes. On his first shopping trip, Mr. Jones told the store clerk, I need some clothes and toys for my new baby. The clerk smiled and said, well now, is it a boy or a girl? It's an ex, Mr. Jones said, smiling back. But the clerk got all red in the face and said huffily, in that case, I'm afraid I can't help you, sir. So Mr. Jones wandered helplessly up and down the aisle, trying to find out what X needed. But everything in the store was piled up in sections marked boys or girls. There were boys' pajamas and girls' underwear and boys' fire engines and girls' housekeeping sets. Mr. Jones went home without buying anything for X. That night, he and Mrs. Jones consulted page 2,326 of the official instruction manual, Buy Plenty of Everything. It said firmly. <laughs> and it goes on from there, and the child goes finally to school, and the adults have a terrible time, and all the kids love the child. And the story ends sort this of... You know it's a story. Because yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it wouldn't this, be like that. The story ends when the, the teachers decide that the child needs a psychologist to to determine you know what it is and, and, and what the parents are doing, and the psychologist examines... X and comes out crying, and so the adults say, "Aha, we all knew it." And they and the psychologist says, "I'm crying because this is the least messed up, you know, uh, child I've ever met. The, the most perfectly, you oh. know, psychologically balanced child that that I've ever had." And he hugs the parents and says, "If I have a child, I hope it's an X." So it's a lovely, lovely story, and it, it and it it's, you can find it in its entirety um, on the uh, in and the internet look under x a fabulous child story by lois gold so there's the story of baby Very x good. now as, hmm. to end that there are several families in different countries who are raising their children gender neutral and yes. we have one in canada and the child's name is storm which is I've heard we, of Storm. Storm is now seven years old. Um, was born in 2011. Um, um, no, yeah, 2011. Um, and uh, when it was first profiled in 2011, um, there were two camps, people that thought it was wonderful and people that thought it was terrible. And so far, there really isn't any... Uh, any balance so there you still have people who who don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing storm is actually the youngest of three all three children are are being treated as neutral they all get determined by vote what they're going to wear what they're what they're going to do and they have it a little easier it's in toronto and the school system is actually built so that the children who are being raised general neutral can be treated with equality and, really? and respect. Mm. So, whoa! Who would have thought such forward thinking? Who would have thought? Yeah, but Toronto um, uh, actually, it turns out, is a good place to have a general gender neutral child. And the oldest child, whose name is Jazz, explains um, sex and gender this way. And I think it's wonderful. Children know so much more than we do. Sex <laughs> is what's between your legs, and gender is what you think of yourself as a person. Very well. Yes, very, very well, well put. Isn't that great? 
Yeah, and I discovered that there is a book called The Gender Book, and anyone who is interested in finding out about uh, transgender or children or how to raise ch children, it's a 90-page book. It comes free um, as, a, as an e-book, but costs 30 bucks. And anyone who is interested in learning any, any more about it, it's a wonderful, wonderful book written by some guys in Texas. And it's called The Gender Book and available on Amazon or download for free. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know how much of a step it is. I mean, uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I, uh, when my daughter was, uh, my ex was pregnant with my daughter and all that, um, I remember getting some advice saying, do, do you know the, the gender of the child and the sex of the child? And we said no. And they said, well, if you don't know and you don't want to know, instead of buying blue for boy or pink for girl, I said, why don't you buy greens and yellows? They're neutral colors as far as clothing is concerned. All that that kind of stuck with good me. Good advice. Yeah, that kind of stuck with me, right? Because it's a, it's a color you could probably assign to both. And I don't see how much further of a step it is to remain completely gender neutral in that sense, right? We're already kind of partially there for some people, anyway. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important too with with children that when they have interests to support children in their interests because if you have a if you have a little girl that wants to be a princess one day and wants to take karate the next day you don't want to say well my little princess you're just too dainty that's a rough sport and, for and boys that's, that's what our society's you, been doing yeah, yeah you you find a karate school that values uh, both boys and girls and treats them treats them equally so yeah. that you don't put any false barriers you know to think oh i'm a girl i can't do that oh i'm a boy i shouldn't do, do that. that yeah yeah well i remember getting a dump truck for my daughter when she was a toddler and uh little people with it playmobil really good toys made in germany <laughs> Plug. <laughs> and what did she do she grabbed a hold of the people she wasn't too interested in the dump truck but she was which interested is, in the people. <laughs> which is something that they, they, that's where I've heard, and I don't know where I've heard it, that that is a natural thing, that yeah. boys migrate towards one type of toy or one genre of toys yeah. and, and girls well, migrate towards the I, other. I, I think there is... Without stand, I mean, there's outliers. There's, there's outliers. There's, yeah, there's girls there's, that no, there, want to play with there, construction equipment, right? Yeah, there, there is validity to that. Um, remember our guest that came on um, the other... Uh, about three or four shows ago, and he was talking about the bio, actual biological differences sure. in the sexes. Mm -hmm. And so there are things that, that because there and are brain differences, and we probably get into that I, with I our guests today. I think that's where you said it right, though. Give the child their choice and don't push them one way or the other. Let them choose what they want to do and support it. But there's, yeah. there's so much uh, there's so much information out there, and some of it we think is. I mean, the fact that you guys thought that Baby X was a real thing yeah. proves it. All right, uh, a lot of people don't realize also that uh, you know the blue for boys and pink for girls. That used to be the other way around. I think it was in be the beginning of the early 1900s those colors were switched. Pink used to be a boy color. What? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, but, yeah, but people just, don't realize that. I was just seeing something where, where little boys in the uh, early part of the century or the late part of the last century would be dressed in dresses. Yeah, we were looking uh, at that. We were watching something, and, and it was actually, uh, it blew my mind. It was like, excuse me? They would dress them in dresses up until a certain age because it was just easier. It was 
it was just easier to deal with anything, right? Yeah. So girls and boys all dressed the same. It, hmm, exactly. So when did that change? That's a good question. Uh, I think probably in the early 1900s, because if you think about babies' photographs in your mind and you see all these these um, uh, women, Victorian women and they're holding these babies with the white dresses. Yeah. Those are generous. Sometimes yeah, those yeah. are boys. Yeah, but you gender, don't see it's a gender that. Neutral, it's a gender about neutral. 1915, perhaps when the flapper age came in, somewhere in through there, right mm. before there. History is fascinating in that sense. Yeah. Right? I, I read not too long ago, um, like for example, uh, braided hair. In ancient Gaul, ancient France, braided hair was, the, was a man thing. You know, women did not braid their hair. Long hair, braided long hair. It was a man thing. It was completely a man fashion. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty fluid. amazing to yeah, see that kind of flu- stuff. It's very fluid in, in some respects, isn't it? All right. I think it looks good on both men and women. There we go. There we go. And we'll talk about the hair on your head, not your pubic hair, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if, you can, if you can braid your pubic hair, you're doing, you're doing really well. <laughs> All right. Let's... That's good. Though, I don't want to think about a tangle there. <laughs> All right. This is another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Now, we just had the solar eclipse, but did you guys know that according to Vedic astronomy, Vedic astronomy, quote, oh. the most ancient and accurate system of astronomy on the planet. Really? Really? Solar eclipses are not caused by the moon coming in front of the sun, as astronomers believe. No, 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 no. Rather, the moon is described as being further behind the sun, and a dark planet called Arahu comes between the sun and the earth. Well, we all know that. We know, for heaven's sakes, now. I've suspected it forever. (laughs) Of course we did. Of course, because we've been conditioned to believe as fact that the structure of the universe has been taught to us since childhood, we find it difficult to accept such a thing, but it requires only a little thought to see that actually the modern scientific idea is compatible with our observation in the timeless Vedic knowledge. <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, okay. And the earth is flat, too. Yeah, exactly. Now, Vedics are, are the... Uh, and the earth is also only 6,000 years old. Well, it's not creationism. The, the Vedic system is uh, the people that... Uh, the Hare Krishnas and all that. That's what they believe in. Hare Krishna. Exactly, so... <laughs> it's always fun. Um, here's another story uh, that's very interesting as well. Jim Garlow, he runs a Skyland Church in California. The church runs projects such as the Jefferson Gathering, in which preachers come together with Christian uh, politicians to pray for things like getting Satan out of the Capitol, right? While his latest project is a ministry specifically focused on the United Nations. Because what better way to preach to people from all over the world than going to a place where representatives gather? And who's going to head the ministry? Michelle Bachman. I was, wait, I, I, was, I was waiting for that to drop, but oh! Hold on, I, this is this is actually worthy of a different song because it's Michelle Bachman. Let's let's play this instead. <laughs> of course, I don't know a darker, more deceived place on earth than the UN. She said, because as we saw in the Tower of Babel, that's probably the last time we saw all the nations of the earth come together at a moment of deception. Their goal has been from the very beginning the creation of a one-world order, but not one under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit. A man's attempt at a one-world order that only brings about chaos, confusion, deception, delusion, pain, and that's 
everywhere rather than cursing the darkness. Skyline Church is about to light a candle. Oh. So Michelle Bachman is heading to the UN. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so we're not exactly sure what she will actually do. If she's going to be preaching inside the building or trying to convert people, <laughs> I don't know. But they're not going to, I mean, she's not going to speak. to. The, she doesn't have a speaking engagement in front oh, of that's the... What she, that's the only thing she does is speak. I know, but she, she hasn't been accepted or invited to speak, has she? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. It's, it's scary either way. It's scary. The whole thing hurts my head. <laughs> maybe, maybe she's just in a small committee at lunchtime. <laughs> One can only hope. Yeah. One can only hope. So, anyway... Just when you thought the U.S. could not get any crazier, they're sending Michelle Bachman to the U.N. There, there is no, there is no depth of crazy. There is no bottom to crazy at this point. It's just down the rabbit hole they go. Bottomless pit. Bot, yeah. Better drugs. All right, so let's go to commercial for now, and then we'll come back with our guest Veronica Drance. Looking forward to that. All right, mm-hmm. stay with us. It's time for an AtheistAudiobooks.com sneak preview. The happy atheist disproving Christianity after faith in constitution in God. Baptized atheist the God virus. Here is an excerpt from The Child Catchers, Rescue, Trafficking, and the New Gospel of Adoption by Catherine Joyce. That's when the pressure turned ugly. The musics sat her down, Rianne said, and asked her what her plan to parent was. In a letter she wrote later, she listed the arguments the musics made. That placing your child for adoption was biblical, so God would bless me abundantly for my decision. That I had too much potential to be a single mother, and God had big plans for me. That they had to hold me to what I said when I first moved in, And finally, that it shows you care more for your child when you place them for adoption. Rianne didn't know that consent documents for adoption are not legally binding in Washington State until after birth. Everything was screaming at me to keep my child, Rianne said. Rianne wrote the butler's pastor to request that he help mediate some agreement with the family. The social worker called the butlers and returned to Rianne with a message. They didn't want an open adoption or to send any photos, but they said to tell you, thank you for the gift. The Child Catchers, now available at atheistaudiobooks.com. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. Take me to church, I worship like a dog at the shrine of your 
is Veronica Dress. She earned a PhD in animal physiology and she's taught science medical profession most of her life. She is a former tenured full professor, founder of Chicago's first electro-neural diagnostic technology college degree program. My God. She's, she's got a lot of things. Creative curricula and numerous courses for scientific and medical programs and very popular public speaker on anatomy and physiology on the medical community. She is at the faculty of a doctoral anesthesia program where she continues to teach physiology and related sciences for the 43rd year. And Dr. Drance has reviewed the scientific literature accumulated over the last 50 years on intersexuality, sexual orientation, and gender identity. She speaks and writes with the public about her research and its societal ramification. And she is an activist for the LGBTI community. She's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Dr. Drance, welcome to the Fraser Valley. Well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, no, this is, you know, I, I'm seeing all these uh, qualifications here. I'm just tempted to just go sit in the corner and eat paste while you just <laughs> just give us all the wonderful stuff that's in your brain. Uh, doctor, uh, there's, been, uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about this, uh, this um, case here in B.C. Uh, there's a B.C. parent uh, known as uh, Corey Dotsey. Uh, she's a non-binary transgender, and she's uh, registered her baby that she called a Cyril with Vital Statistics Agency in BC, right? But she put unknown as the uh, gender of the child. Uh, the birth certificate was not issued in June in BC, but the service card, which doubles as a health card, actually came in, and it, it, they put you and next to the gender for the child. Um, doctor, is this a trend that we're... Is this, this is fairly new in the news, but is this a trend you are seeing all over the place? Well, I think it is uh, uh, an inkling of the future. Okay. I do. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Personally, at the, I'm going to be 74 in just a, a very short time. And uh, personally, I think gender is a problem for quite a few people. Uh, and I, I think it's important that, uh, I don't know how, how much uh, depth you want me to go into, but I think when it comes to the topic of assigning a gender to a newborn. Uh, this is a pretty important topic, and people need to understand the very important distinction between sex and gender. That's number one. Mm-hmm. So everybody is clear on that? Well, maybe we should start by defining that for our audience. Maybe they okay. have a different idea. Well, what... guess what? Even defining sex, which is biological... I, in my opinion, um, is uh, complicated because, as the as you probably do know, there are many levels to biological sex. I mean, there was a long time uh, that we knew nothing about chromosomes at all, and it's pretty recent in our history that we appreciate that. Uh, you know, most individuals are either XX or XY. Um, so there's that level. Not everybody is, uh, some people are XXY, some people are XO. Uh, people, I even know somebody who's XYXY. What does that okay. mean, somebody who's, somebody who's XYXY? Well, <laughs> that they have two X chromosomes and two Y chromosomes in every cell of their body, as opposed to 
just being XX or as in most typical females or XY as in most typical males. But let, let me just finish answering this oh, of course, of course. question because it turns out to be very complicated. Even defining sex itself, whether someone is male or female, is, is very tricky. Uh, because, as I said, there's many levels to it. There's the genes and the chromosomes that they're on. There's the gonads, which for a long time biologists have considered to be the primary sex characteristic. There's the hormones. That, uh, there's the genitalia, of course, and the, that's internal genitalia and external genitalia. Uh, and now we have the brain itself especially certain regions of the brain, which there's evidence to indicate uh, some of these regions, very ancient regions that we share with other mammals and perhaps still other animals uh, when it comes to governing our sexual behavior and uh, our sexual sensibility that uh, we've come to call gender identity. And I'm old enough to remember when nobody thought there was any uh, regions of the brain that had anything to do with sexual orientation. They just figured, uh, of course, everybody is uh, heterosexual. Uh, just you, you know, somehow you look in your pants or something, and and uh, that's what dictates the feelings that you have for the rest of your life. Anyway, uh, we've had now. I I believe there's good evidence to justify including another level in our definition of sex, and that would be the brain itself. When, and I need to hasten and, and say that the evidence shows that everybody's brain is some kind of mosaic of, uh, of gray matter areas, uh, some of which are, have traits that are more commonly found in females and others more commonly found in males. But I'm talking about very specific regions of the brain, like very, a very special part of the hypothalamus, which governs our instinctive drives and behaviors, tells you, the hypothalamus tells you when you're hungry, when you're sleepy, when you're horny, when you're thirsty, when you're too hot, when you're too cold, and it, it governs the responses automatically. It's like an ancient, visceral part of your brain that we share with all the other animals, and this part, this hypothalamus has sexual regions. Uh, that are hooked up to our emotional part of our brain. It also is very ancient. And I'm not talking about neocortex where you do your thinking. I'm not talking about rational thought. I'm talking about feelings, emotions, which is what makes you do everything that you do, actually, even when you think you're being rational. So anyhow, what I'm trying to say is there is a, a sexuality to the brain itself in terms of how an individual feels about themselves. This is not something that you just is the result of thinking. It's a it's a uh, it's a sense of yourself, sort of an animalistic sense of yourself, I believe. So, so anyway, so there's that. All those levels of sex, and in most people, all those levels sort of go together in a way that we expect them to be aligned. But in some people, they don't, and that's where we can talk about trans people and intersex people. So it's not true that everybody is male or female. And now gender. Gender itself is something quite different. It's, there's no biological basis to gender per se. Gender is a social construction. It varies depending on where you are in the world at the time, you know, and change your location. And, uh, of course, it changes over the course of time. Uh, but gender identity is something else again. 
gender identity, I believe, has biological roots, and I, I would, you know, be happy to uh, share the evidence for that if anybody's interested. But you don't learn it, that's for sure. And the intersex be- babies who have had, uh, who, who were born with ambiguous genitalia, for example, have been subjected to these horrific uh, surgeries. Uh, to make to try to attempt to force them into the male or female category when they never will be, and every cell of their body is intersex. You know, people just need to be allowed to be who they are. Is basically the end all idea that I would share with everyone as a biologist. That's how I feel about it. But uh, and uh, the evidence. So anyway, did I make that clear about sex versus gender? Gender is how you live in the world. Are you a woman or are you a man? Sex, I, I will use the word male or female or intersex. For gender, I would use the words woman or girl, man or boy. And we only offer two genders. And uh, people should know that, you know, if, you, if you're an anthropologist, you know better. And especially before the, you know, Abrahamic religion sort of swept over the planet, there were many, many cultures that had numerous genders. Hmm. So, for example, uh, indigenous Indonesia had five genders. That's interesting. And, uh, so I just want to say that gender is something that, uh, you know, is cultural. So if, if, if a child is born with ambiguous genitalia, uh, I totally understand that. But is there any, any uh, reason to feel that a child whose sex is quite distinct at birth, you know, you have a little boy, but right. you want to raise that, that person gender neutral. Is there any reason to feel there'd be some psychological <laughs> trauma for that? I, I, no. I, frankly, I think that we are witnessing psychological problems due to gender, due to uh, imposing expectations on children, they're, they're like little sponges, you know, they get these messages very early on. Uh, and you're stifling their little imaginations and their ambitions. And, uh, I remember, again, as I said earlier, I'm going to be, I'm 74 now, and I remember as a little girl what it was like and what few options were available to me. And I sensed then that I wasn't going to be your typical woman, you know, just getting married and having babies and being a housewife. I knew that wasn't going to be me. Uh, So anyhow, gender, I believe, is a problem. And I think that's what the feminists basically were saying way back when, you know, stop doing that to to, uh, female-bodied people Mm. and uh, thinking that you can predict how they should behave and what they should like and what they should be good at, and so on. So, earlier, I think earlier I answered in, that question. Yeah, earlier in our in our program today, knowing that you were going to be our our guest, we uh, had a short segment on Baby X, which was the story in Ms. Magazine in 1972, and I think that was the first uh, story that I remember. You know, that had to do with raising a child. Uh, exposed to to everything, uh, all the, the, both genders, and then letting right. letting the child choose, and it's a beautiful story, and I think it still holds up today, don't you? Or do you do you I, think differently about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And there's someone I know, uh, um, 
Del uh, Volcano, I believe. Uh, Del Grace La Volcano uh, is a photographer and an intersex person and is a parent and uh, living, living now in Sweden. And there's a video that was short, recently made. You probably can find it on YouTube uh, about the children being raised genderless. Uh, so I, I think that the, that will be the future. Hmm. Where everybody is uh, free to be who they are. Yeah, we have uh, a family in Toronto that is raising their they're raising their three children uh, genderless as as well, and they seem to be very well adjusted, uh, interesting uh, interesting kids. Well, and this whole view, this this binary view that we have traditionally had here in the Western world of sex and sexuality that I believe originates from the Adam and Eve story, that goofy story, uh, has done a lot of damage to people who are not mainstream, you know, uh, such as uh, gay people and trans people and intersex people. And what do all these people have in common? That they're not Adams or Eves. Mm. Yeah, basically. You know, uh, Dr. Drantz, people in, in general like to simplify things. Uh, for example, you hear a lot of people will come back with the idea of, well, you know, there's no such thing as a whole bunch of different genders in the animal kingdom. Uh, well, we don't know that. Exactly. As I, I said earlier, <laughs> first of all, gender, gender is a social construct, so there's really no equivalent of gender in the animal kingdom. Sex, yes biological sex but not gender gender is the way the world treats you and the role that you're allowed to fill when you know and and when think about all the things that we try to do and you have to check one of those two boxes and it is usually mf but what they really mean is man or woman They, they really mean how are you living in the world and those are the only two genders that we uh give people so what are people supposed to do when they don't feel clearly one way or the other? And there are people who are non-binary. And I also, I need to, there's a couple of big ideas that uh, I would love to make sure I get into this discussion. Can I tell you what they are? By all means. Sure. All right. Please do. <laughs> okay, so some of these ideas are really like, Totally mine and others I think I'm sharing with most other people who are uh, sort of have their fingers on the pulse of the science of uh, sex and gender. So the first thing I want to say about uh, uh, sex and sexuality is the only thing that's binary about it, about sex and sexuality, is the gametes in the sense that there's only eggs and sperm. I never heard tell... Uh, something sort of halfway between the egg and the sperm or some other kind of reproductive cell when it comes to the animal kingdom. All right? That's the only thing I can think of that's binary because all the evidence that I'm aware of uh, points to everything about our core sexuality being on a spectrum. And the other thing I'd like to say and I actually, this sentence is actually in a chapter that I managed to get uh, uh, into a, a, an anthology by John Loftus. 
if animals had to learn their sexuality, there wouldn't be any animals. So we don't learn our gender identity, which it turns out, yes, we have. You're just not aware of it, unless, of course, it's something other than you know, people would have expected. Uh we don't learn that gender identity, and we don't learn our uh, sexual orientation either. You discover it, and those are givens. Those are as innate as the configuration of your genitalia, which clearly you didn't learn or choose. And so um, what I would say, if you wanted a synopsis from me about my view on sex and sexuality and the gender that people wind up uh, um, identifying with, and that would depend on the culture you're born into. I mean, if you were born into Indonesia, and let's say you're a, what we would call, let's say you're what we would call a trans woman, somebody we would have assigned the gender of male at birth, but throughout the course of their life, and usually quite early on, realizes that's not their sensibility, and uh and they would eventually, we hope, live in the world as, according to that sensibility, we would call them a trans woman. Well, in Indonesia, there's actually a gender for that. So it, it, the five genders, one is what we would call typical male, and uh, the other, another is uh, what we would call a typical female, a typical woman. And a third would be like maybe people who are androgynous, intersex people and and. Uh, uh, p- people uh, who aren't intersex but still are androgynous, for example. And then another category would be what we call trans women. And the fifth category would be what we would call trans men. So they already have those categories by their own names, of course. And so if you were a child uh, born into the world with, say, male anatomy, but a the uh, sensibility of a typical woman, you would learn early on that you are a trans woman, and the world and that culture would accept you. Well, Am I making myself clear absolutely, in Samoa? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's I'm a just... group called the, I, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation Fafaini, and uh, again, those folks we would call them trans women. And they are, uh, have been socially accepted there for, you know, millennia, for forever. And now they experience discrimination because of Christianity coming into the culture. In fact, West, I remember Western reading an values. article about... Uh, I, I would have thought, I would have some, thought they would having, uh, be having a hard time because Indonesia is mainly uh, Muslim, Islamic, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. So this, these group, this uh, area where there was five genders... That's very small, tiny, shrinking group. I, you can still find a video about it on YouTube. But, yeah, uh, if you're not clearly male or female or if you don't, you know, behave the way you're expected to, you, you are you <laughs> discriminated against in very horrible ways in such a culture. I don't think it matters much whether it's uh, Islam or Christianity. And, uh, and, and Here in the United States... The medical profession uh, does the damage. Hmm. It's interesting because it seems, it seems to me from the layman's perspective, it seems the more uh, developed the brain or the more, for, for lack of a better term, the more advanced the brain, the more complex the question of sexuality becomes. Uh, we see the same kind of uh, complexity in societies of bonobos and chimps and stuff like well, that. Well, true, but let me point out, as a biologist <laughs> with an evolutionary perspective, let me first point out that sex is as ancient as animals themselves. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, that's pretty obvious. And, uh, and even if you're just a clam in the sea squirting out your eggs or your sperm, you don't do it willy-nilly. You do it at a particular time, under particular circumstances, which means that the, the nervous system, such as it is, in, in such a mollusk, uh, is uh, uh, coordinating that behavior. And uh, so, you know, the nervous system has been evolving a long time, and it, yes, it has gotten more complex, but uh, we share the areas of the brain that govern our sexual behavior. We share them with all the other mammals. If I were to look at show you these areas of the brain under a microscope, you wouldn't know the difference between, you know, human or most other mammals. I'm talking about very ancient areas of the brain. Is it, is it uh, in your opinion, doctor, maybe because, like you were saying, um, the, the whole binary thing, the only thing we could find is a sperm and egg that's binary. Is it because Correct. science is only, in, on the scale of time, it's only recently that we've been able to go beyond that into the chromosomes, into the genes, to discover that... Well, we we've known about intersex people all my lifetime for at least the, well over the last 50 years. But they've been hidden. They've been getting erased by the doctors uh, who present the birth of an intersex child rather than a natural event that we should expect in any uh, big population. They characterize such a birth as a social emergency and then use the parental distress that they caused as the reason for doing this irreversible, life-altering surgery that very often... Uh, is very damaging, uh, cutting away nerve endings, and uh, all for the sake of uh, uh, cosmetics and uh, trying to force these babies into the male or the female category, when in fact they are neither. Hmm. Wasn't there a, a, a very famous and horrible case of uh, twins uh, yes. Some time back, and David Reimer. Yes, exactly. Reimer. And, and was Doctor uh, what? The doctor's name was like Doctor Money. Yeah, Doctor Money. Yes, John and, Money. Yeah, and he was his, a adversary. Uh, yeah, it was just, John Money was a psychologist. That's right. And Milton Diamond was his adversary. Milton Diamond was a physiologist like me. Uh huh. With a biologist with an evolutionary point of view. So Milton Diamond was a proponent of the sexuality at birth theory. That your brain is already organized by the, you know, via genes and hormones. The brain is already organized uh, in terms of what your sexuality is going to be like when you grow up. Okay? You're going to go through puberty, of course, and that's going to be the activation uh, time when this behavior emerges. But uh, the brain is already organized just the way your genitalia are already organized at birth. Okay? Now, that's the physiologist's perspective. Uh, basically, I'm, over, I'm simplifying, but that's basically it. John Money, his uh, theory... Uh, uh, was the official uh, name was uh, well that you learned his theory was that you learned your sexuality 
that you're born pretty much with a blank brain. And we know how that turned out. Uh, and David Reimer was uh, John Money's most famous patient. Yeah. David Reimer was referred to in the medical literature as the John Joan case. Mm. Except he, David Reimer, had no idea that this was, uh, that, that uh, he was in the medical literature at all, was raised as a little girl, lied to, etc. The same way intersex people um, are treated, uh, only to discover uh, as a or young teen that he was actually born a boy, because he was a miserable little girl, miserable. Uh, and uh, as soon as he became aware that he was actually born a boy, then acted on that hmm. and uh, underwent whatever uh, hormonal treatments and surgeries were available for him to uh, transition. He wound up, anyway, it's a tragic story. It was. I, yeah. I remember, I think, didn't he and his book? Didn't he and his twin brother end up committing suicide yes. because their and of lives were made so miserable? We don't know if they might have, you know, if that might have happened Simon. anyway. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and Milton Diamond was very sad about that. So what happened was, over the many years, here's poor David Reimer being raised as this little, as this uh, girl, miserable girl, uh, and uh, and and John Money. Uh, getting famous uh, off of uh, this case and this was the justification for the surgeons to go mutilate the ambiguous genitalia of the newborn uh, intersex babies and uh, also to do all sorts of surgeries on other kinds of intersex people who whose outer anatomy might have looked relatively normal but uh, you know like female genitalia but they actually have testes because they have complete antigen insensitivity syndrome for example anyway all these surgical uh, procedures which are still happening even though they're horrific and they do damage all of this designed to uh, uh, deny the existence of intersex people and uh, you know try to force them to look like uh, conventional males or females, whatever that's supposed to mean. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a sad story that this is still continuing um, because uh, so many of them are raised in the gender that does not conform to their sensibility and they wind up uh, later in life very often uh, transitioning and, and experiencing much the same kind of uh, problems that trans people experience. And trans people are the proof, actually, that we have a gender identity. And look what they go through in order to live according to their sensibility. <laughs> so if, if I, I could take a, a little bit more time and tell you, I'm going to ask you to construct a three-dimensional graph in your mind. Okay. And uh, this three-dimensional space, of course, has an infinity of points in it. And uh, I would uh, insist that there's uh, somebody at every single one of those uh, points in this uh, space, even though many of the points could be clustered. All right, so this is a three-dimensional graph. So we're going to have an x-axis mm -hmm. running from left to right, yeah, and a y-axis going up and down, mm -hmm. and a z-axis at right angles to that, uh, giving us depth in our graph. 
Yes. So on the first axis, the X axis, on the one extreme is the typical female anatomy and physiology, and on the other extreme is the typical male anatomy and physiology, and we have a spectrum on that X-axis. Now, this is even a, an oversimplification because there's many levels to intersex, but what I'm saying is that there are people at every point along that line between what we think of as regular females and regular males. And so if you were right in the very smack dab in the middle of that line, you would be as intersex as you could get. And you're neither clearly male nor female. You're just sort of right there in between. And there are people like that with genitalia exactly right in the middle, so to speak, uh, because, of course, our external genitalia come from exactly the same structures early on that start out looking much the same in everyone. So there you have a spectrum when it comes to physical and physiological sex. Okay, now the second axis is the y-axis running up and down. And uh, let's say at the upper end, and, and this is your uh, uh, axis for gender identity. So at the upper end would be a female identity, where you feel about yourself, and the other end would be the male identity. So we now have a planar graph uh, with four uh, quadrants in it. Mm -hmm. But now I'm going to slice that those four quadrants in, 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 in half by introducing uh, another axis, the z-axis. It's going to run depth-wise yep. through that plane of the x and y-axis. And this z-axis would be the sexual orientation. So we wind up with eight quadrants, four in front, four in back, you know, uh, of the... Uh, along that uh, z-axis and everybody's in their own point somewhere in this three-dimensional graph because all three of those things about I, I would like to say that core sexuality has three aspects to it the physical anatomical aspect to it and the other two are the brain things how do you feel about yourself what is your gender identity and the sexual orientation. How do you feel about other folks? Who do you fall in love with, so to speak? Uh, those are core aspects of anyone's sexuality, and nobody learns them. Hmm. They are as they were given. They're innate. Interesting. Interesting. So, 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 doctor. Um Given all this new information and given the, the, the state of the world as it is, how, how do you think we should implement this in our society? And do you feel positive about the future of this in light of maybe the current administration you guys have in the States? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> One step forward, two steps back, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing, that, we're seeing that day by day, unfortunately, aren't we? Yes, yes. And I think it's the last gasp of uh, the straight white man trying to control everything in the world. Uh, just like 9-11 was the last gasp of faith trying to control people versus empirical, uh, the empirical method of science. Mm. So uh, I have faith, though, that uh, 
logic and science and uh, people's good nature will prevail. We are the moral animals, you know. We do want to do the right thing by each other. It's in our nature to be that way. Uh, so I'm optimistic. And uh, here we have a little candle burning in the darkness, you know, somebody who, who's very different themselves and is insisting that their child uh, be raised in a genderless uh, way. Uh, why are people afraid of that? If they're so convinced that, you know, gender ha is, uh, if they think that gender is biological, then it will emerge, won't it? It will happen. And uh, so what are, what are you afraid of? I don't understand. What do you where where do you think the the fear comes from? Do you think it's it's I religious or is there something else? Our entire everything in our culture is based on this Adam and Eve kind of idea mm -hmm. that everybody's either um, man or a woman, and that all men are males, and that all women are females, and that there's and that in a, and then it gets even worse because the, then the thinking becomes like all. All, everybody in the male group, which lives in the world as men, they all kind of have to be kind of sort of alike, you know, in, in manly ways. And then, then this other group is supposed to be the opposite. Instead of just different, somehow it becomes opposite. And uh, all these female-bodied people should be living in the world as women. And putting gender on that, you know, restricting them. And the whole, look at the Bible. I mean, how does it start out? All the Abrahamic religions with using religion to justify injustice. We start out with the Adam and Eve story to justify misogyny. You know, Eve is just an afterthought, comes from a rib of Adam, da-da-da-da. And from this, oh, look at all the damage that's been done through this kind of binary thinking. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We've known, Biology 101, everybody knows that we're all unique. Yep. Uh, everybody knows that the products of sexual reproduction are, uh, are always unique offspring, with the rare exceptions of identical twins. And even they're different when you look at epigenetics, etc. Fantastic. Uh, and so, you know, biology, as a physiologist, I would just like to say uh, uh, that there's a mechanism. There's a mechanism for sexual development. And that the sexual development includes the brain. And this mechanism, this which is often called the organization activation mechanism, um, is the same mechanism in everyone. Exactly the same mechanism. Uh, but we get a unique outcome with every person. How is that possible? Well, this is how nature works. We tweak the genes and which is the first part of the sexual development story uh, exclusively and then hormones dominate uh, much of the second part of the sexual development story in utero uh, but even hormones have genetic underpinnings but we can tweak the timing and the levels and the thresholds for the hormones and so what we wind up with in every single person is something unique when it comes to sexuality something that Kinsey sort of hit on early on. I mean, I would say that's the most important thing he found. We could argue about details, but what he discovered is that there's so much diversity to sexuality. And I would insist uh, that, as I said, 
now. There's diversity along a spectrum for every aspect of core sexuality, your physical sex, your gender identity, and your uh, sexual orientation. Perfect. And so everybody's unique. We need to let people be. Let people be who they are. In fact, I would insist that the most basic human right there is is the right to be who you are. And that is a fantastic way to end this interview. Dr. Drance, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to find out more about you, where can they reach you? Uh, I'd be glad to give my email address if that's okay. That's okay. With, if it's okay with you, go for it. Dr. Drance, D-R-D-R-A-N-T-Z, at spcglobal.net. Fantastic. Awesome. Dr. Drance. I also have a website. It's kind of, oh, you know, I just post videos and things when I do presentations. Probably oh, I'll put this podcast in. on there, uh, which people can find if they Google me. Uh, Perfect. Plug it okay. in. Okay. By all means. Do you, you have the name of the website? Um. Dr. Drance-sciencesexuality.blogspot.com. Perfect. Excellent. Dr. Drance, before I let you go, can I get you to say, Hi, I'm Dr. Drance, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm Dr. Drance, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Dr. Veronica Drance. Wow, what a phenomenologist woman. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. That I mean, she's right. Let, awesome. every, let everybody be who they are, and the complication is getting others to accept that point of view. And it? it makes total sense, too, right? Because after all, I mean, everybody likes to think they're unique, so why wouldn't you sexuality be unique, too? Well, we are all we unique. We have unique fingerprints. We have unique everything. You know, the mind is unique. That's so. just nature. Exactly. exactly. We're, not, we're not machines. We're not stamped out on an assembly line. We're... We're subject to the whims of nature. How we develop is uh, everything is fluid. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about the spectrum, and you let's think about theoretically, let's think about a man who finds another man attractive, or um, you know finds himself drawn to that particular man, and suddenly there's a fear. Oh my God, yeah. am I am I homosexual? It's not that. Isn't this wonderful? I find this individual attractive, and that's part of my spectrum of being a human being. But immediately, oh, is there guilt? Is there the, the culture forces us to to fear that yeah. that kind of emotion? Yeah. So you know, that's a, that's a problem I have because you know I can never find a purse that matches my shoes. <laughs> but otherwise, that's my issue. <laughs> Thank you so much you're, for joining. You're just shopping at the wrong stores. Maybe I am. <laughs> so I'll go with you, Kevin. Oh, maybe that's what we need—a shopping trip. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the show, guys, today. Oh, and by the way, I want to wish a happy birthday to Daryl Ray. It was his birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Daryl! I believe it was actually yes. Doctor yes. Ray, which will be on the show very soon. Coming up. Uh, we have, uh, next week, we have our old friend Jonathan Baker coming back to talk about uh, the Paris Accord. The week after that, that's when we have our friend Del Rey. We talk about recovering from religion. On the 16th, we'll have uh, Michael Sparks will be talking to us about how can he spell about Bernie Sanders. At the end of the month, we have our old friend Arn Raw. His rawness comes back to amaze us as usual. I know. I can't wait for his take on what's happening politically in the States. Exactly. And at the end of, at the, end of the month, we'll have the legendary Jerry Coyne. I'm just going to keep it there. 
I mean, we've just got too much goodness to share all at once. We can parcel it out and, and tease. <laughs> you can find us at leftatvalley.com. You can send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com. You can send your complaints to Nancy. At <laughs> Third floor. Third floor. Third floor. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. If you uh, like the show, you like the uh, the idea that uh, it's easy and you want to share our show, just give us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. Uh, anything else we need to say? Christina's no, not here to uh, say uh, read Harry Potter, so we don't have to tell her. No, I can't. Let, now, now I miss her because you said that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I can't, can't wait till Harry next Potter. week. We can do it all over again. Exactly. Guys, thank you so much. Until next time. This is how your God made me skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard fighting this problem. Religion is a disease, it comes from culture. Only true on a regional scale. Science is universal. For you to say that Horace isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. Call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist I'm an atheist I'm an atheist I'm an atheist Now let me take a sec Don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God Unintended I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God Get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best To keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Respect them Fuck that The system is broke down Working backwards And the only action or tactic I plan to practice now Is to attack them The parties of God's hands Are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers and they're all in God's name And let me take a sec Don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God Unintended I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone Speak your mind Time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic A non-believer An infidel A heathen I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance And you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist I'm an atheist. 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 I